So uh, we're here to discuss our ideas regarding, uh, well, let's, uh, I suppose we can open by uh, you describing uh, where you're coming from, your position. And uh, if you, if there's anything else you want to talk, uh, you want to tell the audience about yourself. Uh, sure. So I am uh, objectivist or at least heavily influenced by objectivism, which is Ayn Rand's philosophy. And just to give a very brief summary of it, she was in favor of reason in the field of epistemology as opposed to faith. So she thought you should go by the evidence of your senses and use logic and reason to reach the truth, not rely on just feelings or uh, emotions, but use your, your logic and your reason. And then in ethics, she's in favor of, favor of rational self-interest or egoism. Sometimes she puts it as selfishness, but she has a distinct meaning that she attaches to that term. It's not the conventional meaning of selfishness. She thinks people should neither sacrifice themselves to others nor sacrifice others to themselves. And we can talk more about that. Mm -hmm. And then in politics, she's in favor of laissez-faire capitalism. And uh, what that means is the government should not interfere in people's lives. All it should do is protect people from force. So there should be a police system to protect people from criminals domestically. And then there should be a military to protect people from foreign threats. And then a, a court system to peacefully settle disputes between people. But that's it. The government shouldn't be uh, taxing people, uh, taking money from some to give to others, redistributing people's wealth, regulating people, forcing them in various ways. She's against the initiation of force. So all, there's tons of uh, government programs that would be done away with in the kind of society she envisions, like Social Security, uh, Medicare, uh, public education, public roads, um, United States Postal Service, a, mon a government monopoly, uh, all of those would be gone in her system. So we don't have anything close to the uh, uh, system she advocated. A lot of people say we live in a kind of capitalist society today, but she would say that's a straw man. Um, if you go back to the, the 19th century, that's closer to the kind of society that Ayn Rand advocated. It wasn't perfect. There's never been pure capitalism but it was at least closer to the kind of system she advocated. So that's a little sketch of her views. And then I have a channel on YouTube where I uh, advocate her ideas. I have lots of discussions and debates. If you want to check it out, um, it's youtube.com slash Dan Norton one, or you can search for selfishness projects. Uh, that's an easy way to find it. And you also had a debate with Sam Cedar about this, correct? A similar topic. Like your, your yeah, I've called Sam Cedar's show uh, three or four times. Hmm. He, he wasn't there the fourth time, but uh, the first time was just to talk about chat policy, actually, because I thought hmm. people in his chat were being rude, <laughs> and I wanted to talk about hmm. you know what what policies are appropriate to that, and then that led to another uh, call uh, about a week later where we talked about objectivism generally. Hmm. And um, at the end of that call, we talked about some island scenarios. Oh, yes. The like co what, coconut what should analogy. you do if you're... Yes. Well, we didn't get into coconut islands on that call. But um, on my third call, the next time, I picked up on the island theme. And uh, hmm. not not the coconut islands. Because that's a vulgar example. And uh, he didn't want to have a vulgar example. Oh, and I didn't really want to get into a vulgar example myself. Um, so I, I chose a different kind of islands 
example to talk about. And uh, about halfway through that third call, he switched and gave his own example, which was a hiking example. What should you do if you're in this kind of life or death survival emergency scenario? <clears throat> and that led to a discussion of coercion. The topic of coercion is really the theme that was underlying um, my, it, it was the whole theme of the third call and uh, much of the second call. So that's the, the, the topic of coercion is one that's, I think, a fundamental one or that concept coercion is fundamental <clears throat> to political philosophy. And I think it's, it's often misunderstood. People think something is coercive that is not or something is not coercive that is. And if, if we're, we're not on the same page about that, we're going to, you know, we're just kind of talking past each other. So I thought it was important to drill down on that concept um, and get clear on exactly what is meant by it. And we didn't actually reach a agreement by the end of the discussion, but I think it was at least clear that there was a deep difference here. There's even more fundamental issues like in ethics, egoism, is it appropriate to live for yourself or should you sacrifice yourself for the sake of others, which has political implications and uh, maybe it'd be good to get into some of those uh, full ethic All right. full issues. Uh, okay, so yeah, yeah. right. Uh, sounds good to me. Then uh, thank you for the introduction. And all, uh, I suppose my audience knows my positions. You know my positions. Uh, basically, uh, if we want to be brief about it, I would say social democrat, left side of that, uh, and then we'll see category. So I believe, of course, in 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 the uh, social demo uh, some in new interpretation of social democratic model um, that we have in Europe. Uh, in Western Europe, of course, that model is no longer uh, sustainable because, uh, well, the fall of the nation state and all—it's a whole different discussion. But generally, I'm I'm found in this this uh, this uh, sort of area, a region of thinking. Um, actually, I wanted to I wanted to begin by by asking you about uh, one of the first thing you said in your society, or like I suppose you were talking about your idealized society. You would have uh, basic the so there would be a state and there would be basic uh arms such as you know a police and a justice system which can process disagreements which really is about uh, the foundation of society so but there is there are also no taxes in the society so how do you so how do you maintain those services uh, in your system right so it would be through voluntary means and there's various ways it could be done voluntarily but i just want to make one point um before saying more about that, I should have mentioned in my intro, which is I am not an anarchist and objectivism is opposed to anarchy. So I, I noted in your announcement about this call that yeah, you, I mean, you said I was, I was an objectivist. I was a bit flippant. But... And that's like anarcho-capitalist with extra yeah. steps. I think anar anarcho-capitalist might be a contradiction in terms because capitalism is, yeah. re requires a government, I believe, to protect individual rights, whereas mm -hmm. anarchy is getting, uh, getting rid of all governments and uh, objectivism definitely opposes that it says there should be a government but it should be properly limited to protecting uh individual rights that's its <clears throat> proper role which means protecting people from the initiation of physical force so, the, so it would to, be a voluntary uh, sorry just just to jump in so it would be a voluntary uh okay so the, the basic services that in your system would be kept up by voluntary donations by individuals right and that's one way i mean there, there are other ways you can fund it other than uh, donations lotteries Mm -hmm. is is one way which i think historically has actually been used 
to fund governments and maybe still is in certain places or at certain levels, maybe at local or state levels. There's state lottos sometimes in the United States. How does that work? Um, especially the government would be much smaller. The, the kind of government I advocate, there's not a huge, massive government apparatus to finance if it's mm -hmm. just restricted to these roles of police courts and military uh, my concern though with, with such societies though I, I i get the i get the uh the baseline idea and i and i appreciate it uh the, my my issue like my fear uh, like see i don't i don't have like a beef with these ideas i just have well concerns in the sense that how would it work would it be would it work for the average person and what would be the consequences and what i see an issue is you have a state which is financed by donations um, what happens if so, the, so a, a police uh, like a law enforcement agency financed by a small law enforcement agency minimal as minimal as you can get uh, that does its job you know that is not necessarily a strong force like if you look at police forces in the US they're, they're highly militarized in Europe less so but see but they're, they're still a formidable force if, if it's a minimalist system with a minimalist service we're funded by donations and lotteries how do you counter risks of people just banding together in a, in a militia and just gunning down the police and declaring themselves the new rulers of the of the area? I, I suppose armies wouldn't exist in your world either. So it's just the police force and the justice system necessary to facilitate commerce between people. Well, there would be army. I mean, if you consider that as part of the military, like the, the Navy, the Army, the Air Force, all the armed forces... Uh, th th those would exist to protect people from foreign threats. And then domestically, there would be a police force. But I, I, it, people have to proportion their um, donations or their lottery participation to the threat. So mm -hmm. um, I don't think there would be much of a threat, much less of a threat, I think there would be in a capitalist system. I think there would be much less crime. But whatever level of crime there is, people would should donate accordingly. So if there's, if there's only a tiny bit uh, of crime, crime in your local area, then you should have donate some amounts. If you see it starts to get worse, then maybe you should up your donations to uh, accommodate the greater threats. So you proportion your donations accordingly. It's not a one size fits all. It has to be the same cookie cutter um, level of support everywhere. You, you, you read the facts on the ground. Uh -huh. So basically, and in your, you use your self-interest and accordingly act. Right. So basically, uh, basically, in these with these fundings, like with these voluntary fundings, would be based on people's personal perceptions of the situation. So if they perceive that there is more crime in the area, of course they'll fund the police more. But how does this system account for issues such issues uh, such as problems with perception? So, for example, currently in on conservative media, there's this. The new, the new uh, uh, mania is that, you know, democratic cities are these crime-infested hellholes. Crime is going up. Crime is up, 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 up. You know, um, cities are burning, etc. Well, that was BLM, but anyway, uh, the general perception is that crime is up, even though it is objectively untrue in most areas. In some areas, there has been a small uptick, but nothing that would dem that would uh, necessitate such an uproar. So clearly, this is being manufactured uh, in, in by uh, by capitalist corporations, you know, like Murdoch's media empire, uh, Fox News, etc. So, if someone con in control of such a media empire decides to facilitate false perceptions of people to try to manipulate uh, their spending, you know, uh, how would you uh, how would your system account for that? Like, there, there wouldn't be. My concern is that there wouldn't be an impartial. Uh, 
body that would review the facts and be like, okay, look, this is these are the facts, and so this is why we're gonna spend X amount on the on the on the uh, on on these services. It's it's completely democratized, allocated to the people. I think, and I think that does not account for for uh, malicious actors. Uh, how would you how would you how would in your system how would your system react to such malicious actors who give people so these false impressions on purpose maybe for some sort of monetary gain like if some some uh, if some uh, company manufactures you know defense equipment or something like that then it's their interest to drum up fear to drum up hysteria and uh, that way you'll get resources going to the wrong places so how does how would you counteract that well, one thought I have on this is you need to use your own judgment. So there are certain uh, c- cities, like I've heard in San Francisco, where they have these policies where criminals are allowed to just engage in these smash and grab behaviors. So they can walk into a pharmacy, a CVS, um, or uh, so, some some store and just uh, loot the place, basically. And the, the policy of the city is that the police aren't allowed to stop that. What, what city and is this? I, I mean, I think that's that's a terrible policy. That's that's a I mean, that, um, that would be crime dereliction of duty on the part of the government. They're not protecting people's rights. And people, I mean, if it gets bad enough, I think you know there can be a revolution. And that's what happened in the American Revolution. The government, the government was not protecting people, or it was infringing the rights. And it, it got to a certain point where the the American colonists said, you know, this is tyranny. We have to overthrow this. And if things get so bad. <laughs> Uh, in America, like if it just devolves into rioting and looting, you know, that hopefully it, doesn't come to which, that. But which, that's a failure of the this? police to do their job. Which, which city allows shoplifting, essentially? Like wh- wh- where exactly does this happen? I, I believe it was in the San Francisco Bay Area. There might be others, too. But it was just the policy. I, I think What's that the name there, of this there policy? would be no. Excuse me? What's the name of this policy? Because I doubt. I don't know the name of I don't know the name of the policy. Uh, okay, we, we, uh, we can look at it, but I, I, I highly doubt that, like, that, that a... Um, oh, yeah, I think what you're referring to is... is, de, is um, um, Yes, there, there's, it's not decriminalization, but, like... Or actually, maybe it was, like, the uh, they, they changed the limit of, 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 of value that the police will incarcerate you for uh, shoplifting, uh, you know, in relation to so, for example, if you steal a candy bar, you will not go to jail; you'll get fined, etc., or something else. I think that's what you're referring to. Uh, but uh, in that, in but those policies, uh, it's not the, not the discu- not the topic of the debate. But those policies actually are good because, uh, of course, if you tend to, uh, if you look at it f- uh, it, from the perspective of a hysterical Fox News report, such as San Francisco, you know, very liberal places, Democrats, you know, they have legalized crime. Now you can just shoplift and the police won't take you. Well, these, uh, I believe you're referring to, once again, the, the policies where uh, it's it's just that they won't throw you into jail for, for five years if you, if you steal a Snickers bar. So there are other... So instead of like a punishment based, you know, measures, you know, they, they can they can uh, they can just use other measures which are which are, which have been shown to be more beneficial. So cities aren't generally run by complete idiots. Sure, they're I mean, OK, uh, or, in, or in some other sense, they are they might be stupid, but they aren't idiots. So uh, usually at least. So these policies, uh, let's let's not sensationalize. This is what I'm saying, though, in your society, um, would be, uh, how would laws be made 
so how how uh, how would the framework of law be agreed upon? So how would a how would a group of people decide? Okay, for stealing the Snickers bar, you'll either get like you know two days of community service or ten years of jail. So like who how would it be decided? Well, there there is a legislature, and it can be a complex procedure to figure out exactly how laws are um, made and you know, what appropriate penalties are for breaking the law. But one way laws will not be made, I can say, in my society is just by unlimited majority rule. So if you, that, you might call that mobocracy, uh, rule of the mob, where you get a majority to vote uh, for a, a law and whatever they want goes. So if a majority wants to enslave or, or to tax, soak the rich with taxes, uh, that's not legitimate. Just because a, a large number of people want something doesn't mean it's legitimate. So laws should be structured so they protect people from the initiation of force. And you can't have a, a, gang, a gang of people gang up on a minority and violate their rights. Like, you know, in Athens, ancient Athens, the Athenian assembly famously voted to um, put Socrates to death because he allegedly he was corrupting the youth by going around Athens and having conversations that were challenging to some people. Uh, you can't just get a mob together and vote people, uh, uh, vote people's uh, rights away. That's not an appropriate way to uh, conduct society or make laws. So it's not mob rule. It's not unlimited majority rules. Uh, so it's a limited uh, kind of uh, representational system. But who, who would enforce it, the these details limits? of it are complicated. But who, who would who would enforce who would enforce these limits though? So if I, if if there's a society and the majority of people say, oh, you know, that group over there, they must be they must be kicked out of here. They must be even exterminated. Who knows? Uh, we're we're now gonna go and do it. And then so if and then you know they they say, oh, actually the laws, uh, the laws on the book say that we cannot do it. Well. Who is going to stop us? You know, this 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 little meager police force that's that's uh, set up, but it's also manned partially by us. That's infiltrated by us, so to speak. Uh, and this judicial system, which which uh, which I mean, yeah, without the police, I mean, they're just uh, what are they what are they they going to do? So if a mob, if a violent mob, and of course there's an overlap between, for example, far right sentiment and being a police officer. So if these people in your society get together and say, we're going to you know, purge black people from this area, then how, how, what would, what, what would stop them is what I'm, what I'm asking. So like mob rule is illegal. Sure. But it, I mean, things are illegal until people say it's illegal or uh, until someone can enforce that. And who would enforce that if your police force say is also in, uh, inundated with the people who also want to do the thing? Wouldn't, th wouldn't things just fall apart basically? And we'll, we'll revert to in, back into like tribalism. Like th that's my main concern here. Okay, so I mean, there there are no magic solutions, um, but uh, there are optimal solutions. And I think you mentioned before what a, a me what is a meager police force going to do in the face of some threat? Well, it shouldn't be meager. I mean, if you sense that is meager and meager is relative to what the threat is, then you should support it some more. It's in your interest to beef up your contributions to the police, perhaps. Uh, but my Maybe point is that more the police also need people, right? And those people will, will inevitably come out of the community. Uh, and so, okay, so let, let's let's stick with the example of most, the majority of people in your area decide that, okay, we're going to, we're going to go and shoot the rich and then we're going to take their money. Okay. Um, 
Now, those rich people will not have representation, like, those rich people will not be part of the police force, so chances are the echelons of people, you know, <clears throat> who, will be, uh, who will be down for this idea will also have a strong representation in the police force. So in this sense, it is, uh, like, the, it, it, the, the local police is infiltrated. So they, they decide, okay, you know what? We're just going to form this mob, and including the some uh, members of the police force, and we're going to march on the villas or something and then we're gonna take uh, take their stuff who's going to stop us oh this police force which we are outnumbered 10 to 1 so then how where do we go from there like the, who who saves the day uh because in my as far as i see it they, they they're just gonna like this would be true mob rule in the sense that, that they can just do whatever they want uh because there's no strong overarching framework like if we, my issue is that if you leave everything down to grassroots people etc then that's going to be that's going to be uh, without overarching institutions, strong overarching institutions. Currently, it it would just result in complete uh, chaos, or we would just revert back to tribalism. So, how would that mob be stopped? Which is part police officers, part just people with guns. Okay, I'm not sure I fully got the scenario, but one thought on all of this is there is a last line of defense which is yourself so you have the right to self-defense you have the and that includes the right to bear arms sure sure but uh, like so, if, if there are like 200 people with guns outside of your home and you're yeah. there with your family so the the mob is the mob say 500 people gather they're all like okay you know what we're gonna we're gonna take everything that they that the those people over there the rich people own and many of them are police officers because this is like a you know they are they are also part of that echelon society so they march on the on the uh, on the uh, villas and now there are 500 people with torches and guns outside of your home so at that point your chances of survival would be rather slim and they would just break in kill you maybe you would shoot some of them but they would just roll through the entire area and so my concern is like this would be the true mob rule if you don't have any institutions above you that they would just uh, they would just come and take it like if, if, if there's no if the law enforcement agency also depends on the people that directly is what i'm saying and not some not some overarching structure of law and, and government so how would you solve this problem in your grassroots scenario oh okay, well, also also, I mean... also wait, wait wait one sec one sec i forgot to add what if people deliberately sabotage the 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 uh, the, the police force beforehand so if they come together and they talk okay you know what we're gonna we're gonna say that we feel so much safer we're gonna decrease our our or, or we're just gonna decrease our contribution to the police force it becomes underfunded and then we're gonna strike so how do you how do, so how do you contract such malicious actors in your world or such scheming okay you raised a lot there <laughs> i'm not sure i can retain yeah. all of that uh, um, just ask ask about which uh, feel free to address whichever you want and you can ask of course follow up like uh, okay, uh, so let me just make. Okay, I'll just make one point, and then you know, if it doesn't address uh, something, you can come back. Okay. Um, so w one thought is, if people people can be are, are corrupt, setting up some institution, some other institution, which it seems like maybe you have in mind, some uh, super powerful government to oversee. Well, why aren't people going to be corrupt in that institution? There's no way you can um, magically, you know. Uh, eliminate corruption everywhere okay. you just have to be eternally v vigilant and try to optimize things 
So as for some mob that wants to attack, I mean, there's also something like private security. If you're wealthy, um, many wealthy people, they live in gated communities, which are guarded, you know, beyond just the, the baseline police, which everyone has access to. They might hire private security, which is going to stop and make it much harder, at least for people to come and just loot their loot their neighborhood. So there are some other measures that people can take. But, you know, if the police get so corrupt, it sounds like maybe you're describing a, a society at a very uh, advanced stage of decay where, you know, the, the police have been infiltrated um, by by corrupt people who are uh, themselves criminals um, when, you know, the police are supposed to be stopping criminals. Well, I mean, if, if society is decaying to a certain point, like with American Revolution, you, you know, have to kind of reboot, start over again. Maybe I have a revolution, uh, try to go escape, flee the society. If this mm. society has gotten so bad that, you know, life is just unbearable, that's when you try to get out of the place. Mm. But I, I think in a in, in a normal functioning, not a stage four cancer society, you know, th these kinds of scenarios are, are not going to be happening. Yeah, so uh, I suppose... Um... So what I'm referring to is a system of checks and balances. So the reason why, for example, in the U.S. there are uh, just just uh, I'm, I'm not an expert on this, but I'm just going to give like a basic example. So like certain arms of the government, like sure, everything is corrupt to some extent, obviously, but uh, not like people cannot just do whatever they want because there are sort of checks on that. So they, they'll eventually come up to a barrier. Um, which can be moved eventually, but like it, the whole system is like it's, it's the checks and balances, right? That like no one, no one can do everything, because if everyone can do everything, then you'll end up in a situation. Like first off, at that point, your society collapses pretty much, and then you end up after society collapses, you usually in the chaos afterwards, you don't end up with a utopia. You end up with a feudal at best society where the strongest and the most cunning and the cruelest, etc., they rose to the top because. I mean, you know, in in a, in a world of chaos and violence, it's generally those people tend to rise to the top, and so. Uh, but I think I think we're. Uh, is there something you wanted to add? Because otherwise, I think. Uh, otherwise, I think we can move on to the coercion aspect of, of of your society, which might be the interest more interesting part of the discussion. But my, my, just to reiterate, my point is that I miss and favor to respond, of course. My point uh, or my worry here is that in your society, uh, if it's everything is up to the people well then you're building on quicksand because people can be people are malleable people can be influenced this way or that way even by malicious actors or by non-malicious actors and you can create these like false realities that for people to inhabit basically if you, if you look at like mega republicans like try talk to one like they, they don't live on planet earth so with people's like large masses of people are prone to instability and if you just throw the reins between the horses, my point is that you're going to have things falling apart very quick. So how? I mean, I think there has been um, there has been a lot of problems in the U.S. recently. I, you mentioned the MAGA Republicans, and I think of the January sixth riots, and mm -hmm. you know the challenging of the election results. And uh, I mean, I think that's that's all very bad, and I, I oppose that as well as the 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 BLM riots. Uh, that were going on uh, prior to that. I think both the, the left and the right ha has serious problems. And in some ways, there's not really much of a distinction. And I don't really put myself on that left-right spectrum. Uh, if you think of, certainly not, if you think of someone like Trump and the MAGA Republicans as right, that's 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 totally opposed to, to, to what, it, what I stand for. 
But I think, unfortunately, society is getting is decaying a lot. And it's also very far from the kind of society we had back in the 19th century, where there was much uh, a better rule of law and a tremendous progress. Uh, science. We got rid of slavery. Slavery was ab abolished. The, the fundamental principles of capitalism, which were set out in the Declaration of Independence, there's men are created equal and have their rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, that became implemented more and more consistently over time. Unfortunately, tragically, blacks were not given those rights, but people realized that inherent in those principles what was that, you know, we should free the blacks. It's, this is not right. So capitalism got rid of that injustice. It took time for people to work out consistently, more consistently, those those fundamental principles of how do you exactly hear, adhere to the principles of capitalism. But unfortunately, I think in the 20th century, we've departed from that. We have the growth of the state, the, the, the rise of the progressives, the so-called progressives. I think it was actually regressive uh, because it was more coercion, which we can talk about. The, the rise of the New Deal under Franklin Roosevelt, the so-called Great Society under Lyndon Johnson. Government has massively expanded. It's We've created this huge welfare state. I think crime has risen. And it's is now decaying into riots, rioting, smash and grab, loots in stores. Um, so I think things are getting bad. And I think that's because we've we've gotten away from the fundamental principles which made this country great to begin with. And I think we need to get back to those principles and apply them even more consistently, not not less by introducing even more government intervention I, I, and coercion. I think you brought up a good point, though, like the, the, this whole mega Republican movement, etc. Like these, a large part, I think I think this actually the current instability regard, with regards to like mega Republicans, like BLM, uh, BLM uh, protests were the largest civil rights protests in the US. There were uh, violent events, but by and large, they were just, you know, of course, 99% of people that were completely peaceful. So it's, I wouldn't say that it was, uh, I do differentiate between, uh, say, January 6th and BLM, of course, because BLM was a civil rights protest after, you know, black people were extrajudici extrajudicially executed by police. And Gen 6 was uh, pretty much people attempting a coup because they thought that the Democrats stole the election. So um, there's, a, there's, of course, a big difference there uh, for me. And um, actually, a good point that you brought up is uh, why our why society is decaying, so to speak. I think a large part of it is actually social media. Like if you go to Facebook and if you go to all these now Twitter with uh, now after Elon Musk took it over, um, like it, it's a hotbed of conspiracy and uh, and radicalization. And there's all these there's a huge pipeline that operates. Uh, not physically, of course, but that can suck people down into essentially being aimed towards the far right, it's the alt-right pipeline, uh, as they say. And it's just this vortex of conspiracy, misinformation, bullshit. And this results in what I, uh, what I described uh, of people, you know, being in these parallel universes, right? Like if you go to an, like a mega Republican, like if, like if you let them talk for five minutes and describe the world to you, uh, you, you would think that they're, they're living on a different planet. So... Um, I think, and social media in this regard, I mean, if you look at it, it's a company abated and a company fueled um, court of public opinion, like a, a sort of a, a marketplace of ideas mob rule, right? Because on social media, the uh, stuff that is true doesn't get shared, stuff that gets clicks, stuff that piques people's interest gets, uh, gets shares and, and likes and whatever. And 
and uh, a, a description of the democratic process in the U.S. is far less clickbaity than the the uh, the, uh, the the Democrats are sacrificing children and drinking their blood under this Washington Beats area. And, you know, and that gets five million shares, and then there's this whole conspiracy movement. The QAnon movement actually grew up from grew out from social media. So I think, if anything, in uh, from my perspective, that actually underscores the fundamental danger of just like unchecked, uh, unchecked core of public opinion and letting 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 decide things. Um, but we can actually, if you would like to quickly respond to that, we can. Uh, you can, of course, but uh, we can also move on to uh, coercion. Because okay, yeah, I, I would like to okay, uh, okay. respond to that okay, point. So, yeah, I, I think the the Internet has been an amazing uh, instance of progress. You know, despite the the rioting and the looting over the last few years, there have been some bright spots, I think. And I think technology, the tech sector is one of those. And that's also the sector which is... Uh, I think very free of government coercion. So through uh, competition, uh, we've gotten these great products that have, like we're using right now uh, over the internet. So the whole whole world can watch this. And I think freedom allows those kinds of innovations and that kind of progress. And what we don't want is to have the government step in and interfere and slow down that progress or take it over. We don't want the government uh, taking over our internet and making it like the DMV in America or the U.S. Postal Service, which notoriously do not provide do not provide good service. Uh, I think that would make things far worse. I think you know, as far as conspiracies and so forth um, on the internet, sure, yeah, there's some of that, but you know, there's also ways of um, countering that sort of thing. You know, there's there's of course likes and dislikes and there's search there's algorithms that you know can boost things or uh, unboost things there there are free market mechanisms that can weed out bad actors and you know through the profit motive and self-interest people will gravitate towards the things that have more value over time and things will be weeded out but i don't think you want the the gov- i don't want the government to step in and uh, start introducing coercion i think that will make things worse not better. Uh, yeah, and I think I think at this uh, with this we can actually turn on to co- the coercion topic because I think the issue like uh, an a, 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 an instance of coercion that I, that is actually positive uh, or would be positive if, for example, um, the government enforced um, if the government enforced uh, social media uh, companies to combat actual misinformation. So that would be a form of coercion because uh, Facebook, Twitter, etc. They wouldn't let misinformation spread freely because i mean this is the irony this is the irony of uh, irony of uh, social media that uh, misinformation generates more clicks so it's in the rational self-interest of a company to at least let if not promote but let misinformation uh, uh, spread freely i don't think any major social media company allows or like uh, promotes misinformation but they allow it so this is why uh, this is before even before Elon Musk bought, uh, bought Twitter. I think this is from 2011. It came out that Twitter has a right wing bias and pretty much Facebook as well. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg and the previously, I think, leadership of Twitter met with big right wing talking heads to discuss how they could properly pl- platform them, etc. Those companies do take down materials that are against the law. But they, d- but they don't ban, say, conservatives when they violate the terms of service. Like when libs of TikTok, for example, caused 
a Boston, I think Boston Children's Hospital to be shut down because of a bomb threat and was spreading misinformation. That's, that site wasn't, wasn't shut down. In fact, when Elon Musk leaked those uh, screen caps from lives of TikTok's backend page, uh, there was even this, this little label of like, do not take action uh, be, uh, before consulting the higher leadership. So it seems to me that conservative, conservative like these uh, populist sort of misinformation spreading voices uh, without the, the positive coercion of the government of like coercing these companies to limit this misinformation. So without this, we have these demagogues flourishing on social media and making a fuck ton of money for these social media companies. And that's and this seems to be everyone's rational self-interest, but societies. So how uh, how do you, so would you would you argue that coercion is negative even in, even in this context? Yeah, I would. So a few thoughts on this. Uh, you, I think you, you mentioned a right-wing bias, uh, at least in, in, in the U.S. or uh, a lot of the circles that I, I hear more about that I travel in, um, Twitter and Google and Facebook, these tech giants are often said to have a left-wing bias. So maybe it just depends what source you're looking on. But uh, I don't think we want the government deciding what's appropriate for people to watch. I think individuals should be making those kinds of decisions. We don't want a government to burn books or to ban books or have a index prohibitorium or something like that in the Latin that the Pope had in the uh, where, you know, certain works were prohibited that you couldn't look at. We don't want the government. I, I don't want the government deciding for me what it's appropriate for me to to look at. I think the government should allow people to use their own judgment. We don't want to be government sheep, uh, sheep following whatever the government deems is appropriate for us. I mean, you know, is that very conducive? Uh, are we just going to be subject to some bureaucrats propaganda all the time, some state run media, uh, which, you know, maybe they have in North Korea or, or China where you know, you're not allowed to publish. Or you're not allowed to criticize the government. If you do, you could get thrown in jail. I'd much rather have a a society where it's left up to individuals to decide. They have the freedom to decide uh, wh whether to look at a sort and source, and not just have them spoon fed whatever some government bureaucrat thinks it's safe or appropriate for them. Uh, but to that's believe. that's that's already happening even without the government, though. So, you're, so when you go to social media, you're being spoon fed content based on based on uh based on your previous likes and what's what also makes money for the company you're being you you're being spoon fed through the algorithm so the way i see it it's it it of course china of course a horrible example like no one wants to live in such a repressive system but on facebook and on twitter not like not it's not like those companies are like china but they also uh they also spoon feed you uh what uh like things the difference I see is only in their interest. So in the in terms of China, for example, their interest is, is the st stability of the Chinese government and the uh, squashing of opposition or, 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 or the minimizing the risk of any instability. With the face with Facebook and Twitter and so similar social media companies, the 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 uh, goal is not that the goal is money, and for them, like for social media companies. Uh, Promoting right-wing media and misinformation simply makes them more money. And, of course, there's such things as fiduciary responsibility and uh, legal gray zones. So they, they do, uh, do favor uh, 
this way, you know, right-wing media outlets because that makes them more money. I, I just have, I have this article in front of me, like the audience can see it. One year ago from The Guardian, Twitter admits bias in algorithm for right-wing politicians and news outlets. HomeFeed promotes right-wing tweets over those from the left, internal research finds. So this was an internal research at Twitter. Uh, and um, yeah, so so let's see, see. So this is my concern. So without uh, uh, and this actually, if right-wing misinformation, such right-wing misinformation can spread, uh, this violent misinformation, or like a misinformation that actually spur can spur to violence, like the libs of TikTok, uh, you know, doxing doctors and and uh, spreading misinformation about like ch children mutilation clinics and causing bomb threats, or uh, uh, producing a chilling effect across society through misinformation uh, by, for example, spreading Republican disinfo about, you know, trans people being degenerates and stuff like that. I mean, that that is that actually results in coercion, but like uh, coercion through the chilling effect of society, because when you cannot go out uh, on the street with a, say, a trans badge or people know that you're trans and you cannot go out to the street because people will beat you up because they consume their misinformation, I would, I would argue that is coercion, and so our system results in a much worse coercion than the coercion of the government telling the company, "Hey, at least be equal, but uh, but ideally don't spread misinformation," which is which can be checked by an independent fact checker team. So okay, so yeah, go ahead. yeah, there, there was there, there was a lot there. Um, you, you mentioned the Guardian, which I, I believe is a socialist or <laughs> nearly uh, leaning in that direction of socialism. So, you know, uh, how, how much should I, uh, being a capitalist, <laughs> want to trust a source like that? Is, again, I mentioned before, like my perception in a lot of circles I travel in is that there's a left wing bias. Um, not that I'm right or left wing. If we find, you know, right is Donald Trump and left is, you know, socialism or something like that. I'm neither of those. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just have a different um, perception of what sort of biases there are. Climate change is an example that's come to mind of uh, an area where I think there, there, it's all over the media that there is um, uh, Internet media or other media that there's some, you know, climate doom is impending and it's about to happen. And this, this has been a story going on for decades and decades. And uh, I think there's been a lot of false predictions, yet they continue Alex Epstein, uh, who is a New York uh, Times bestselling author, came out with a book called The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, which I think has debunked a lot of the, the traditional narrative around climate and energy issues. He recently, just last year, came out with a new book called Fossil Future, um, which also takes on the, the traditional narrative. He's actually, I think, brought a significant number of people from the left who, who are pro-reason and pro-science, and they think that following the science means that you have to buy this uh, idea that uh, we have to restrict fossil fuels or else the planet is so, going to so, go to hell. And he challenges, he's deeply immersed in all the facts mm -hmm. and he, he challenges that narrative. Yeah. So, just to clarify, so you don't believe in man-made climate change? Uh, I'm not, first of all, let me say, I'm not an expert in this field, but what, what I've learned, the little I have Just looked at personally. this issue, someone like Alex, actually Alex Epstein might be a great person for you to talk to about this. Um, uh, but from what I've learned, there has been, uh, a lot of people try to smear him as a climate denier or a climate change denier. The, the issue that's, that's a straw man and it's a red herring. The issue is not, has there been climate change or has there been uh, warming, global warming, or has there even been man-made global warming i don't think he disputes any of those things the issue is it is whether there's catastrophic uh global uh global warming such that 
we have to massively restrict fossil fuels. And he's he's done research to show that life has actually gotten much better with the increased use of fossil fuels. I mean, sure. a lot of people had predicted it was supposed to get worse. The planet was going to go to hell, you know, if we if we didn't restrict our use of fossil fuels. Yet over the last few decades, we've been using more fossil fuels. And life has gotten even better. Yes, I mean, but, China and India, I think, are examples where people ha- they've used lots of fossil fuels, and massive numbers of people have come out of poverty. Oh yes, yes, but, but wait, let's uh, let's let's, let's not let's not conflate these two things. Sure, but fossil fuels are necessary for developing nations to develop well, uh, and I'm in favor of letting, say, African nations, developing nations, build as reasonably clean and reasonably affordable, uh, you know, fossil fuel plants, because otherwise, well, what are you going to tell them? Like, they, they cannot afford anything else. They cannot climb out of poverty uh, in other ways. However, you know, we had a record warm winter. Like, it was uh, all previous heat records have been shattered in Europe. Recently, people were, were walking around in T-shirts in the middle of January, um, half of the Czech forests died in 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 uh, due to the heat. Uh, this was last year. Uh, we're seeing, and and the weather is more and more erratic. So, I mean, of course, this is not the topic of discussion, but actually, we can move this back to coercion. So, or if if in this scenario, if uh, so, so this is the case of like implicit, like indirect coercion. So, if I do something which causes another thing, say I. I ignore climate models and I build a bunch of fossil plants and that causes global warming, which uh, which uh, affects a community negatively, say it makes their areas uninhabitable, desertification, etc. Uh, then is it is that would that not be coercion in a sense that I am impeding those people from leading their lives because of my life choices? See, this, this, is, my, this is my fundamental issue and we can read it back here that coercion is uh, sometimes smaller instances of coercions. Coercion is necessary to prevent bigger instances of coercion. Because if you don't do the, because if you don't uh, use small amounts of coercion, like, for example, what we discussed in social media, don't post misinformation, don't call trans people degenerate, then you cannot prevent the big, uh, the big coercion, which is, you know, trans people being shot into ditches at the edge of town. So how do you, what's what's how, how does your society solve these issues then? Like, okay, so how do you not get points, to the big coercion, so to speak? Yeah, well, I think the way of thinking about it, like small coercion versus big coercion, I'm not sure that's the right way to think about it. But okay. I have some. Is, is there, let, let is there a some... difference? Is there a difference between coercion and coercion, or is it all the same for, from your perspective? Uh, let me. I can, maybe we can get to that. But I, sure. I had a couple other points on some other sure, things sure, you sure. said. I want to make. So first of all, on the, on the on the scientific details of you know things have been getting record to record temperatures or whatever. So I'm not the one to debate those kind of things. Alex Epstein knows. I mean, that's his bread and butter. So if you want to talk about those kinds of claims, um, I would suggest talking to him. Also, climate models. He often uses this phrase: climate models that can't predict climate. I mean, there's a, it's very easy to create a computer model to make some dire prediction. And you might get government funding uh, to come up with that conclusion because they, they might tend to fund that kind of research that has that desired output. Um, so I think a lot of the climate models are bogus. Uh, but, but again, Alex is the one to talk to you about that. But as for any legitimate issues that there actually are with um, sometimes they're called externalities, um, I think what's needed is property rights. So if you clearly, this often comes up like with with uh, rivers. What if you live by a river and 
and some someone just dumps their waste into the river and then it flows down well privatize the river so you have clearly defined property rights in the river and if someone does something that affects your part of the river or your part of the air um then you can take them to court okay, but there has to be reasonable that's standards that's actually a very good example. what's justified and uh in prosecuting because you can't have a civilization where there's zero um zero emissions or whatever and we have to live like cavemen and can't industrialize at all because there's going to be some tiny percentage of particular matter you have to have reasonable standards and specifying exactly what those are can change over time even someone like a caveman might despite having clear skies have very dirty lungs because he has to live around the campfire all the time and he's he's breathing in that smoke and industrialization can eventually get to things like in heating electric heating which is much cleaner oh, sure. and uh, gets around those problems I, I actually want to get to uh some some of the things that, that you brought up is i think pertinent the river so uh, a good example of, of uh implicit coercion would be or uh, indirect coercion would be if someone dumped if someone dumped their waste into the river th thereby you know cutting other people's fresh water supply right um say that there's an area that like that river is the so it feeds into a water reservoir and that reservoir supplies uh, the town with drinking water. Um, so, of course, if you polluted that water, that would be, you would be, would you agree that you would be coercing, like that it would be a form of coercion because you're uh, uh, impede, like you're, you're limiting people's uh, access to uh, fresh water? So I mean, be... if you fill in the details of the case, yeah, that could. I think that could certainly so, be yeah, coercion. I mean, if people yes, are relying yes. on a water source and then yes, you yes. basically poison it, yes, uh, yeah, that would be a form of coercion. Yes, and so if you private, but if you privatize the river, that so that would be a good solution to like privatize it, and then you have like very clear property rights, and no one can do it. so. That, that's that's a, so with that you establish a framework, that like okay, this is private property. This is why the framework is you cannot pollute the river. Case closed, so that people will not pollute. Pending, you know, uh, pending a, 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 a you know, law, uh, law enforcement action. So, but the thing is, what if the person uh, buying that 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 water reservoir then says, okay, uh, that river water reservoir, okay, I have the rights to it now. Uh, I'm going to raise the price of water by 100%. Wouldn't he within the right to do so? And would it be coercion? I mean, if you're if you're the owner of a property, uh, you have you have certain rights. Now there might be contracts, so you might contract with a certain water supplier for a certain rate, and there might be a stipulation in the contract that you can't just arbitrarily jack the price in the middle of your contract term, and you have to give notice. Like if I plan to ha have a rate increase over a hundred percent, you know, I have to have some advance notice of that so that I have a chance to react to it. Maybe move to a different town where they're not doing something crazy like just arbitrarily jacking up their water prices by 200, 500%. And all of a sudden, you know, I can't get any, I can't afford that. So I think the free people through the free market are not going to want to live. They're going to selfishly and people who want to attract people to their community are not going to have policies that allow them to just arbitrarily change things around by like that. That's, I think that's a lot of the beauty of contracts mm. is they give you a way to live a long range kind of life and not be at the mercy of someone's whim who just arbitrarily tries to ruin your life in sure. that kind of way. Uh, but but then, then then we get into the problem, and this is what I want to take, take the discussion, the problem of, of natural monopolies. So there are some play, there are some uh, aspects of life which will naturally form, of course, monopolies. And we see nowadays that if, if you look at the if you look at what brands are owned by what company, 
a few companies own pretty much everything you consume, like if you go to a grocery store. So these companies can clearly, uh, even if even if the monopoly is not natural, right? It's a candy bar, you know, is not a natural monopoly. I mean, everyone can make it. Still, 99% of candy bars is going to be Nestle um, or something, uh, some other like huge major company. So if there's a monopoly that forms and say a far-reaching enough monopoly, then that monopoly is then free to exploit people and those people so the bigger the, mono, the the bigger the monopoly goes the grows the less people can do against it so and if at the, and the end the logical end point to this is that the monopoly goes so large that it controls everyone's lives uh, in a certain in a certain part of their life any uh, like say water supply so one company grows bigger, grows bigger, 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 and buys up all, like that company owns the entire water supply system of a country or of an area. Uh, and at that point, that company, once the contracts keep expiring, they can pump up the prices uh, slowly but surely. And they, they can also under, uh, they can also, um, uh, then, then, then we can into stuff like, they can undercut their competition, like they can start other businesses to which they supply water for free, but to the competition for like three times, like a 300% rate. So this would, this would, in my view, be coercion, though, because that like um, is sophisticated form of coercion, because you're prevented from what you want to do by that company through these means. So and I my, my issue is and enlighten me if you have the solution to this in your system in yours in because in your system i just don't see any solutions to this like a company if it becomes you know too big to fail and all that wouldn't it just rule the entire uh like just like rule the game and do whatever they want okay there was a lot there yeah feel Um, free to feel free to go over yeah so yeah i have some thoughts on that so one thought is um you People might be interested in this book. This is called Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal. It's a collection of essays by Ayn Rand. And there's a chapter in here uh, specifically talking about monopolies and a lot of the fallacies that are uh, associated with with thinking about monopolies. So a lot of the points you addressed are are, uh, addressed in that book. But let me say some some things about it now. Um, I think it's it's important to distinguish between a government monopoly and a uh, a non-government monopoly. I don't know if you would even want to call it a monopoly. Um, there are certain institutions like the United States Postal Service, which are government monopolies, meaning that no one is allowed to compete with them. So there are certain parcels of mail which uh, someone like FedEx or UPS simply cannot uh, deliver. They they can't deliver certain kinds of parcels. So I think in, in that I think service would be much better you know if someone could you know deliver the same kind of mail that the united states postal service offers so it's it's a little strange to me that um a lot of people who who make these arguments against monopolies are perfectly okay with monopolies as long as they're coercive monopolies run by the government i mean is is what you want just uh instead of these so-called monopolies of the free market people rising to the top of their um field through great service um that's why they've become so big because they've been uh provided such great service and in, in, instead of p- letting people rise through ability that way you just want to coercively allow someone who's who maybe is not so able like the united states postal service and have the government be the only monopoly you're okay with that that seems a little strange to me also historically the, the maybe the the um, prime example of 
the evils of uh, a monopolist is Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller in the oil industry. But I think if you actually looked at, at his his story, he didn't uh, – uh, exploits or gouge people. He, I think famously he kept his prices very low. He knew that's how he was able to maintain his, his enormous, I think it was over around 90% market share. And he had to keep his prices low in order to keep that. And eventually I think oil was discovered in Russia and he lost the market share and he didn't have as, as dominant a role as he did. Again, Alex Epstein has wrote an entire article exactly on John D. Rockefeller and the history of Standard Oil in the way he's been smeared, I think, by people like Ida. Ida Tarbell, I think, was the journalist who famously um, gave this presentation of Rockefeller, which has colored uh, many people's understanding of Rockefeller. But I think if you if you know more about the history, you'll have a much different perception of Rockefeller and, and uh, his, his so-called monopoly. So uh, there's some points on monopolies, but uh, I don't want to go on t- for too long on this. So let me pause here and throw it back to you. Sure. Uh, so I'd like to dispute the the claim that a company grows big because of a great product or service. That can happen, obviously. But uh, in general, in, in many cases, uh, even if you have a like a mediocre average product, but cutthroat business politics can also carry you very far. And this is this is regardless of the government. So the argument often made is that oh yes, these companies offering the mediocre service can rise to the top because of government meddling. And now I would differentiate a USPS and such services uh, are different here because those like post is an essential is, is an essential service. Now, these essential services, I believe, should be uh, should be uh, in public ownership, as in through the government, the indirect. So, the, so there should be indirect democratic control by the people through the government. Um, and uh, there's of course a fundamental difference be- between the USPS and Amazon, for example, because Amazon does th- does it does what it does because of profit, and the USPS does what it does because it it's been tasked with delivering mail. Uh, so one is performing a public service, USPS, that's the end goal, and em- with Amazon, it's just growing bigger. Doesn't matter through what. Now their logistics operation happens to be their biggest money-making machine currently, but they're also doing you know movies series whatever like they're they're branching out so a company's fundamental purpose is to make money which uh i think is fundamentally incompatible with with a coercion free society like if a if because uh in a within a company you know coercion doesn't uh, isn't factored in as a as a uh anywhere basically the only thing preventing the only thing preventing say nestle from uh giving you you know uh Snickers bars. I don't know if Nestle does Snickers bars. But let's let's just say for now, like the only thing that that currently prevents Nestle from giving you uh, Snickers bars with higher lead content for so that they can make ten percent more profit because it's cheaper or whatever is that a regulator would clamp down on their ass, i.e. they would coerce them into into not doing that. So um, once again, we we, we, get, we go back we go back to the or the original fundamental point that. Coercion, sort of um, coercion, uh, these smaller instances of coercion uh, mitigate uh, the larger instances of, of potential coercion. So, you know, Nestle cannot sell lead, higher lead content Snickers bars for profit. That's smaller coercion, you know, whatever, uh, which, which, uh, which then prevents the larger coercion of you getting lead poisoning and dying or, like, no, or, or impeding you from most functions of life. So I think I think this is where we're stuck. I think this is the our main point of main point of contention here. 
Would you agree? Okay, so so, so, uh, so, so just, just to sum up, yeah. So small. Uh, so my, uh, once again, to quick summary, because uh, because uh, actually we'll have to wrap up the debate uh, in a few minutes because I'll, I'm going to have Dylan Burns on from Ukraine. Um, but so as uh, to, to summarize, my uh, my uh, perspective here would be that coercion is necessary, uh, and there's a difference between coercion and coercion and targeted smaller instances of coercion, such as government regulation, is necessary to prevent the bigger coercion, which is companies running amok without without any meaningful control, which would then lead to other larger instances of coercion, which people would feel. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I said a lot of things. Feel free to respond at your, at your own pace. Okay. Yeah. So I, I don't think government regulators are angels. No, of course uh, Like uh, in that, in that uh, uh, profit-seeking businessmen are devils. So I, I don't think, you know, if there's something corrupt in human nature, such that when people try to live and, and make money and earn a profit, um, setting up some other people with coercive power over them to regulate them, I don't think you're going to escape the, the problem. If human nature is corrupt, you know, setting up some special, uh, some privileged body to, who thinks they know how to, how to uh, best run everyone's life, that, that's not going to be a solution. I think what you want is to have something like the profit motive and people who are snakes and are frauds uh, will get rooted out of, the, and that's through the free market comp competition process. And it's it doesn't happen magically overnight, but over time there are agencies, rating agencies, things like Yelp, um, Better Business Bureau, who who can um, uh, make make judgments that people over time those rating agencies themselves acquire a a um, reliability in the public mind, or I mean that's something that they work to earn over time. And there are mechanisms, consumer reports. That's another way that people can look to these third parties to have some some objectivity in assessing, you know, whether this is a legitimate company, how reliable are they to deal with. Um, but you're not going to make a profit in the long run. You're not going to become huge and successful as a fraudster. You might get away with it for a while, but you are going to be weeded out if the free market is going to be allowed to function. Now, I don't think if you subsidize if you have government coercively subsidizing some company, no matter how bad it gets, that's not a way to improve service. That's a way to stagnate and or maybe have things get worse. So you mentioned too big to fail uh, once or twice. And I, I entirely oppose that. There, there shouldn't be a government bailout of companies who are, are running uh, poorly. They should be allowed to collapse. That's the beauty of the free market. Weed those people out. Allow the better actors to, to survive and thrive. Don't force people to prop up uh, the, these failing, uh, uh, inadequate companies with, with public money. That's unjust and that's, that's immoral. And if you, if you do allow those things to fail, if you allow the best to rise to the top, then I think you will weed out some bad actors, people who might try to poison their food, which, by the way, is a fraud. That's, that's not something you need special regulations for. If, if you're putting poison in food, that's, that's a form of initiating force. It's poison basically. So that's not, that's not legit. And you don't need regulations. You just need standard law to uh, uh, deal with that sort of case. I understand. So I think, uh, yes. So I think uh, we, we culminated on this point. So uh, because in my, in my view, of course, I'm not, I'm not in favor of like uh, keeping dysfunctional companies, of course, alive. Like I, I believe in uh, a free market to some extent. Uh, but uh, for example, I think essential 
essential services should be kept uh, should be kept under private owner uh, public ownership. So I think where we disagree is that I believe that if you if you have a government run company, so the USPS, that that company in your view is run by faceless government bureaucrats who don't don't care how inefficient things get. Of course, of course, as you said, there are no devils or angels, but still. Um, so government bureaucrats who do not care how inefficient the system is, they just want it done, whatever it takes. And this leads to waste. This can lead to waste. But uh, what you also have to consider is these companies are also under under indirect public control because they are publicly owned. So if people don't like uh, how USPS is run, for example, well, then that's and there is this this uh, this uh, like the population is disgruntled. There is negative feelings. Well, then. Uh, the the political capital is created for someone to capitalize on them. This is a, also, I believe, a form of capitalism, political capitalism that uh, you know they can capitalize on uh, the fact that USPS is bad, and they can promise that they're going to reform it. And then people, if they elect that person, they can then rate their job in four years or in two years, however long their term is. Thus, people exercise democratic control over USPS. Now, of course. Uh, and this is this is, I think, where we uh, where we should end. Feel free, uh, you're going to have the closing word as well. I think that in your world, a USPS. Sorry, I would much rather have a USPS run by some bureaucrats who are then who can be then shuffled and replaced by uh, a democratically elected politician based on their promises, than to have people vote on Facebook about how USPS should function here, there, whatever. Because back during the 2000. Uh, 16 elections, uh, 2020 elections beforehand, misinformation popped up that that the Democrats will cheat the election, uh, will steal the election through USPS, and the voting, uh, the sorting machines are rigged and stuff like that. And if we allow that sort of mob mentality to influence USPS, then you know if hysteria and misinformation spreads far enough, then people might just vote to abolish the USPS, and then. Congratulations, you, you, you might have just played, you likely played, into the hands of some malicious political actor. So, uh, feel free, I said a lot, uh, feel free to respond. And then I think, I think we can do uh, sort of shorter closing statements. And uh, yeah, that's, that's the plan. Okay. So the USPS fundamentally, I think that the problem with it is that it's, it's reliant on coercion. And I think it's, it's immoral to force people to uh, pay for some service. They should be able to choose whether or not they support it. I shouldn't have to forcibly have my money taken away and support this institution. Just, I mean, just as with a bailout, I shouldn't have to uh, bail out any company. Uh, what is it? Chrysler uh, back in the, was it seventies? Um, in more recent cases, um, it's wrong to force people to use their money in certain ways. People should be able to decide on a free market, do I want to support this? And, you know, if, if, they're, if you're running a good business, you should be able to attract more customers or have more shareholders who are willing to help fund your business. But it's wrong to forcibly make people support your operation. Now, you, you mentioned the political process. You can, over time, have different laws. And I, I do think we should uh, legislatively have ways of uh, getting rid of uh, something like the United Postal Service. But I don't think it should, be, it, it should exist to begin with. Um, so I, I think it, it shouldn't be the sort of thing that's up for a vote, whether uh, I am or anyone is forced to fund some institution. Force should be outlawed at the legislative level. Uh, let's see. Any other uh, points on the USPS? 
Uh, oh, you. So you've mentioned that it's an essential service. I don't see any essential difference between mail or getting food. I mean, is, is food an essential service? We have grocery stores, which I, I mean, if anything is essential, I, I guess I would say food is um, certainly. But we don't have uh, uh, we don't have a government monopoly on food. I think maybe the Soviet Union had that with their bread lines that stretch for hours and hours. Um, if you could get anything by the time you got to the front of it, I don't. I don't think putting the government in charge of food is a very good idea. Even though you might say food is an essential service, I think the issue, the essential issue here is coercion versus freedom. I think freedom and competition is what leads to the the best service, and we don't have that with USPS. We do have it to a much larger extent with the tech sector, and we've seen amazing progress in the tech sector, as instanced by our our video call right now. So I'll end on that point. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I will also add a uh, few closing closing ideas. Uh, of course, uh, of course, what the Soviet Union did was a catastrophe. And I would advocate for my my advocacy would be with, with regards to food, which is an essential thing. Of course, it's necessary for survival would be at the very least some sort of like universal basic income type uh, food voucher system like it, it, in, uh, you know, in Europe, I, th I think this is actually quite common that you with your if your work somewhere, you also get next to your salary, some kind of little meal vouchers that you can redeem at stores. I think that would be fair. Uh, my goal is to my goal is to keep the uh, keep efficient systems al alive, but also preventing those systems from eating people alive in in uh, pursuit of profit. So I st uh, my I think my point about uh, natural monopolies uh, uh, still stand uh, at, at any rate. Uh, a natural monopoly can actually lead to coercion. So if you're all the only food producer, well, then uh, in the US, we have s s uh, things like food deserts, for example, people don't have access to the proper uh, to proper nutrition, uh, just this is based on market forces. So I think letting the letting things loose, in this case, can lead to dire consequences, of course, uh, but also uh, squeezing things too hard, like they did in the Soviet Union. I think that also can lead to ruin. But I think the, of course, the solution is between the two. But uh, on this uh, scale, I lean firmly uh, to the left. Uh, Dan, it was great talking to you. I think this was. I think we could explore each other's ideas a bit more in depth. I wish we had more time, but I've been streaming since nine hours, and I have one more guest. <laughs> so uh, I understand. Yeah, yeah, but uh, hey, uh, perhaps we can perhaps we can continue a dis discussion at a at a uh, at a different time, and. I thank you for coming yeah, I on. You. I thank you for coming on, and yeah, this was a refreshing, uh, refreshing, uh, different part of the stream with you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity, and yeah, I'd love to chat again sometime. All right. So take care. Okay. Bye bye.